You are listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guests today, the hearing trumpet, David Warmbier. Hello. And Gregory Halleck. Mm-hmm. Hello. Very excited to have you both on. As we have mentioned, you were mentioned in the episode with Davin Brainerd, also a very important figure in my Michigan noise awakening. And you two set up some shows that I got to see very early on in Michigan and were playing a lot of shows. And I've one of the first noise tapes I must have bought would have been camera lop or lollipop on on cling film i want to say was the name of the label very good yes you're <laughs> the have... one that bought it <laughs> <laughs> and we have no idea how to pronounce it either oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we've had a lot of discussions on how to say that aloud right before we went yes. on tara was postulating I'm... how to pronounce it i was saying yeah pop <laughs> <laughs> works <laughs> it was also a big introduction for me into special packaging because it is in a box with a metal plate and bolts going through the cassette holes. So something I had to disassemble to listen to and at the time seemed very unusual to me. Now you get a, a tape with some bolts through it. It's, it's just it's boring. It's old news. But back then it was really exciting because you don't see a lot of stuff like that and it was a very cool thing so I, I'm, I'm still excited when i get a tape with some bolts through it but it's a, it was a different thing in whatever 97 98 back then when that came out so how did you guys yeah. get started in this how did you meet and how did the hearing oh. trumpet come to oh. exist do you want me well, to tell we- the story yeah go ahead well, from your memory then i'll oh. correct you as we go along okay <laughs> actually i met Greg's record collection before I met Greg. <laughs> I love this. A, fr- a mutual friend was house-sitting in- for Greg and Karen in East Dearborn and went over there to hang out and saw all these records and immediately went directly to the records, as I would anywhere, and started pulling out Nurse with Wound albums, current 93 albums, SBK, Nocturnal Emissions. And I'm like, I have to meet this guy. And that was that that was the start of when we first met. And that was what, in the 80s. What year was this? Yeah. 80s? Yeah, okay. say, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. That was the probably mid 80s. Easily mid 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Because I yeah I moved here in ninety and I lived in Dearborn. I moved to Dearborn in eighty four, so probably eighty five, eighty six. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think he stole a couple too. I'm not sure all these years, but <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> I'm still looking for that SPK record you like. <laughs> it's right but over there. Were you doing a radio <laughs> show then? Yeah, I actually started doing radio in nineteen eighty four. Okay. Uh, Were you doing the Painfully Real? It would have been around that time, yeah, where I started on CJAM, University of Windsor Community Radio, was doing, I started at actually the student radio station at Wayne State, where I was there, and but then met Bob Madigan, who invited me to do a show at CJAM, and was there ever since. That's Painfully Real. That was about... 85 or 86. Mention who Bob Madigan, in case people don't know. 
Yeah, Bob Madigan was at that time the lead singer of a band called Slaughterhouse. He later on did Dumpster was the name of his band. Bob Madigan was known for... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I actually was afraid of him the first time I saw him. Saw them at the... What the what was the basement of it was in Delray, the Hungry Brain. It was an abandoned Salvation Army in the basement. Oh wow. In Delray. And yeah, it, right across from Zug Island. Very yeah, it smelled really bad there. And I remember seeing him, he would basically scream until he vomited. <laughs> <laughs> And, but it was like, I just hadn't seen anything like that in my life. So I invited them to do the radio show at Wayne State. And then later, because actually what happened is he got the radio show in Windsor because he was listening one night and some guy said, I'm tired of doing this (laughs) show. The first person that calls me up can have it. And he happened to be listening and called. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, and then he invited me quickly because he had no idea how to operate the boards. And that was the start of it. So I did for several years with him. I got tired of driving a a very intoxicated person over the Detroit-Windsor border. This was pre-9-11, but it Mm -hmm. still was. And I gave it up for a while, ended up with another host, Ed, for a while. And that's when Misanthropy started, Misanthropy 101. And not long after that, I invited Greg. So that was good. We used to do it in a trailer out in the parking lot of the CJ of the of the university with a homeless guy next door with his girlfriend. And we know there's just a little window between us. Oh, there's lots of CGM stories. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I want to add my take on Bob Madigan. I only saw Slaughterhouse or Cum Dumpster once. It was in the basement of St. Andrews. They had a little club down there. And he did. He literally sang until he just threw up all over the audience, just got to the edge of the stage and let it go. And then I remember going to a place called The Bank on Ashton, and Bob used to bartend there naked, which was, <laughs> my wife and I were just reminiscing about that the other day. Yeah. Luckily, the table came up to about midway, so... Oh, no, he walked around all over the place. I know, but my, mem- <laughs> my memories don't have him doing that. That probably... So there was a number of legendary shows in Detroit at that time. Yeah. Uh, Zoe at France played there. Nocturnal Emissions played there. Crash Worship Crash played Worship there. Played there, yeah. Those are the shows I remember at the time. And Bob was naked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a well, golden era. You mentioned Misanthropy 101. That was the radio show that then the your label was born out of. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we stuck with that name for the label. And the hearing trumpet actually came out of the radio show out of boredom, where we were bringing, we started to bring like cassette decks and reel-to-reels and everything on them into the radio board and would use various sound found sounds and exotica records and just mix them all together and that was the start of the hearing trumpet i think at first my memory is that we were trying to do a a, a call-in show too called praise exotica we used to play a lot of easy listening music in between the experimental stuff 
And that didn't work out too well because the only person calling in was a local Nazi who used to yell at us. So we gave up that format. (laughs) It's a great idea. We just didn't have an audience. I think we were trying to do, at the time, Negative Land members out in LA, I think, had a, or wherever out in California, had a radio show late at night called, do you remember the name of that? It's still going. Over um, the Edge. Over the Edge. And this time we didn't have computers, so we could never hear it, but we did what we thought was our version of what they did, what we read <laughs> that they did. And eventually we got bored with the Praise Exotica and started bringing in those tape recorders and stuff too. Dave actually, Dave would bring in a couple of records and I'd bring in like two cases of of tape recorders and mixing decks and everything so I could patch in. He had the comfortable job. (laughs) Yeah. We never traveled light. No. And luckily at that time, though, I was severely unemployed. So I'd spend all my time watching TV and taking sound samples off of whatever the current crazy ass thing was happening in the news. Like the girl who tried to kill her, his wife of her boyfriend, what was his name? Her name was Amy something. Remember Dave? Oh, wait. Oh, the Lorena Bob Amy Fisher. Fisher. Fisher, yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. God, we used to sample <laughs> her like crazy. <laughs> Her and uh, there used to be a Scientology, a late night show they had, and I we used to record that and, and, and loop the Scientology guy screaming about, you can be clear, you can be clear, and all this crap. But <laughs> it was so, easy to do uh, back then, but so it was fun. Wh- when did these radio experiments start and how long until it turned into trying to do a release or play a, a live show in front of an audience? I started the radio show with you, I think, in 92 or 91. Do you remember one of those two? It's about 91, yeah. So the Praise Exotic stuff lasted about six months, and then we got into doing the other stuff. So it would have been about 91. And we didn't do our first hearing trumpet show until 94, I think. Yeah. Because you said uh, that was our 30-year anniversary now. Yeah. This year. Of doing live (laughs) performances. Yeah. Wow. This one, I got a little list here. It says here, yeah, December, no, December, October 30th, 1994, was at the Windsor, a little cafe in the Windsor, and we did a soundtrack to the movie Nosferatu. <laughs> and that was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> really? What was so bad about it? We didn't know what we were doing technically, and we've never known what we're doing technically, and we've never had high-key good equipment. Uh, our mixers were the cheapest Radio Shack one he could get. I think Aaron Dillaway still uses his, <laughs> the same one. We had one amplifier. They didn't have a sound system or anything. They weren't ready for us. So we were just a horrible mix. And also at the time, I put too much Alistair Crowley into the mix, too. I'm sad about that, but... <laughs> Yeah, we were invited by some people at uh, C-Jam to do this, this yeah. Devil's Night thing. But it got better. I think our next show was, I think, The Magic Bag out in Ferndale. We opened up for Destroy All Monsters. Yeah, Devin oh, nice. didn't mention mm-hmm. us, by the way. I was very disappointed. <laughs> oh, he didn't? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, errors I heard in that show, but I won't bring them up. <laughs> you got to take it up with Devin. <laughs> we just asked the questions. Yeah, I know. He got some answers right. Yes, you were the one of the older guys. It, it's minor stuff. Like he, you asked if there was another record collector before the one in Livonia. And there was one on Grand River at the Livonoy, I think, right around no, by the Redford no, Theater. L- Lasher, yeah. 
Lasher. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It was a small place because I used to go there before I went to the other one. And he didn't. You mentioned Mog. He didn't. You didn't know who Mog was, as far as uh, part of Princess Dragon Mom. He had Mog's stunt team put a CD out. If you ever seen that around on Time Stereo. Oh, all right. And he was Kenny. I was their roadie. <laughs> I got to carry Mog's huge amplifiers around every time they played someplace, and then <laughs> those got rest of the guys would just go home, and then I had to go to Mog's house, and then they drag stuff down his basement with them all the time, but. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough of that. So, yeah, we did the Magic Bag. Carrie Lauren invited us. And this is the original Destroy All Monsters, not the rock and roll one. This is the, the originals with Mike Kelly and Jim Shaw. And I can't believe they gave us 45 freaking minutes. Ooh, that's a long wow. set. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a bunch and of time. As far as I'm concerned, it's the best show we ever did. Until some guy at the end came up and said, you remind me of severed heads. And I wanted to kick him in the head. <laughs> but, uh, Wasn't that the show where somebody announced that oh. after we were done, somebody announced, and the next act will be play, performing music? Somebody, I think my wife overheard in the oh, lobby overheard, say yes. that. Yeah. yeah, I hope the next band <laughs> plays music. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the next band actually was Dragon Mom, so no, they didn't play music. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Magic Bag's uh, a, a big venue for uh, what a second a second show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, Carrie and I have been no, I've known Carrie for a long time, and he used to actually come to some of our shows, I believe, and he enjoyed it because we kept doing shows with him when he formed Monster Island. We used to put on shows together, but I. I, I was floored. I, it was huge for me. It was real nice, and again, we did a good job, except Dave's. Your oscillator blew up, didn't it? Or did it blow up your... There were things were smoking on the stage. It was <laughs> yeah. just like... Oh, wow. <laughs> Sweet electronic wow. smoke smell. Yes, yeah. yes. That was real nice because uh, Dave had a friend uh, who did a video for us that was projected on a huge screen behind us. Just random images with audio stat or, or video static and everything too. So it came across real well, I thought. Yeah, the Magic Bag was a movie theater first, but also would host concerts. So they, one of the things I always liked they did was Brew and View, which predates a lot of the like Alamo Draft House, whatever kind of things, where you could go watch a movie and get beers and cocktails <laughs> while, yeah. while mm -hmm. doing so. So it was a nice venue and actually really close to where I used to I live. I think so. it's still there, isn't it? Still working, Dave. Oh. That's why none of you guys uh, live in each other. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm the only one from Michigan now still. Am I? Everybody else lives someplace else? Or? Yeah. Yep. Where, okay. where are yep. you at now, Dave? Uh, I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. Yep. All right. That's all the ways it could get from me. <laughs> very, very purposeful. Without leaving the country. Well, it's funny you, you talk about playing the Exotica on the radio and mixing that stuff into Hearing Trumpet. I, I think that the Exotica easy listening records were a a big influence that people don't really talk about. We look at like the research, incredibly strange music and thinking about these otherworldly records that were really mass produced and, and all over the place and people's parents had them, whatever. And then I saw that Dave, a few years ago you did, or actually just last year, a jungle Wi-Fi exotic mix thing. Is that recent? That's very recent. What happened was Hal McGee, who I've known 
for a lot of years through the, the tape cassette culture and that basically twisted my arm and said, pick a project from his from his group is that he runs. And when I saw the Exotica one, I'm like, that's easy. <laughs> and, and so I, I picked that particular project. And the voice I used on that was actually the voice of Martin Denny. I had a chance to actually interview Martin Denny. Oh, no oh, way. Wow. Yeah. It, actually, this pre-internet, my old radio partner before Greg and I were sitting around and thought, how do you know? How do we will we reach Martin Denny? Maybe we should just call Honolulu operator information. And we did and got a phone number. He actually was listed. Wow. <laughs> and then turned and then called I called him up and said, Hey, like big fan, really interested in yourself, have a, a lot of your records. Could we set up an interview? And we did. And so actually uh, got a chance to interview Martin Denny before he passed. Yeah. That's excellent. That's cool. That but is yeah, so the whole cool. thing, that whole thing came out of that, the throbbing gristle, that, that, that culture for me. So it was throbbing gristle that turned you on to Exotica? Probably indirectly through just various ways, but certainly they were an influence. It's still some of the most spaced out and psychedelic of the like, what I think was accepted as fairly normal at a time. <laughs> so I, I still I have a big collection of that stuff. Of course, both myself and the Connellys do and, and uh -huh. love hearing it and love seeing it when it's still people are making new weird tracks in that vein. So I wanted to ask about that one just since it, it had come up. Yeah. So well, our theme song was Quiet Village for all the years we did the show together too. Yeah. And I was recently <laughs> with some friends and uh, some of these people I, I was with never heard of Martin Denny before. So I said, you got to listen to it. So someone got their phone out and started playing Quiet Village. And all of a sudden, I found myself going, welcome to Misanthropy 961 here on CJM. <laughs> all of a sudden, the radio voice came out of nowhere. People stopped, yeah. looked at me and said, what the hell's your problem? But yeah, we did. Dave and I used to spend a lot of time, too, going to Salvation Armies. This is before they were all picked through already. Yeah would have been in the early 90s probably then too and we bought all the exotica easy listening stuff we could find and uh, the more bizarre the happier we were <laughs> and the and old real to reels that were oh yeah there oh, and wow. oh yeah wow <laughs> i'm still trying to get rid of one right now <laughs> I'll, I'll email my address don't worry <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pay for the postage <laughs> <laughs> So when did you start booking shows? Was it right when you started playing live or did it take a while to get contacts, that kind of stuff? See, our next show we did that was pretty interesting was, oh my God, would it have been the Rapoon show? <laughs> oh, yeah. cool. Yes. We did. Yeah. And you got that food because he knew of us through the radio show station. Right. So that, yeah, Rapoon at Zoots. I remember there was some young kid who was a big Rapoon fan that was driving Robin around the country to these various shows. They're just in like a regular car, like going from city to city playing shows. So that was a, a pretty amazing experience. But yeah, that's, I don't know when, because a lot of the shows were booked through Manny Steiner 
who did a lot of the booking. Yeah. Gray, I saw you smile when I said Manny's name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Manny's He's been brought up a few, up a few times. times on the show. You, I, I don't think there's any history of 90s American noise shows or whatever that, that wouldn't involve Manny. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I was his Detroit contact. So a lot of the tours that he was booking, he would call me up and set up a show. And 90% of them were like, yes, absolutely. There was quite a few that were like, I don't know who the hell this is. I have no idea, but sure, why not? <laughs> and most of the time it worked out okay, yeah. Yeah. And the Rapoon Show also had Noise Camp, who performed in the street on cast out in front of Zoots. Oh, wow. <laughs> Until the cops showed wow. up. <laughs> but we performed at that one too. So that was a, a really, that was one of our early shows again. I'm looking at the flyer right now. I can't show it to you guys, but it's pretty nice. Oh, do you have July an archive 6th. of the flyers somewhere? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, and my Instagram page is full of them. Okay. Got to check that hey. out. I actually I found a flyer. I've been going and trying to archive and collect all of the ephemera flyers, letters, any of that stuff I've collected over the last 25 years or whatever. And I have a show from Misanthropy and Entropy Studios Presents, Saturday, September 16th, 2000, a night of unusual performances and sounds. The Hearing Trumpet, Neural, Songs of New Erotics, and Mike DeBrin. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that one happened, did it? No. <laughs> we did some things with Entropy. Was that oh, the yeah. place that was on a second floor in Hamtramck? Yes. Oh, God. Yes. I've always, I, when I saw this flyer, I was like, I think that was a place I could never remember the name of it. I know I went there for a handful of things, but I could never remember. Did this show not happen? Because I saw Neural around no, this we, time. I know a song of New Erotics didn't show up. He's from Toronto, and uh, he, he <laughs> couldn't make it. I don't know about Neural and everything after. Did that rest of that show happen, Dave? We played with Neural we so played many with Neural times. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We actually toured with Neural. Entropy, just real quick, Entropy, the show I most distinctly remember there was Francisco Lopez. That was a good show. Which was awesome. Oh, cool. Well, I did not go to that one. I, I, I wish <laughs> was, I, I would have. hottest summer night. And if you remember, the stairs went right out to the front of the street and on Capo and whatever. Hot night, horrible. The doors were open. Sam Lopez was so quiet. That the sounds outside were almost drowning him out. <laughs> <laughs> and he was supposed to play with Amy Denio or Denio or whatever it is. And she mm -hmm. didn't show. Okay. I remember being there for a very hot show, but I don't think it was Francisco Lopez. I think it was uh, Entropy Studios, lack of air conditioning and <laughs> position in I that building. I also remember a lot of people falling asleep during the Lopez show. There was quite a few people <laughs> I saw with their heads thrown back. Either they were <laughs> static or they were asleep. <laughs> but Entropy was, we did a few more shows there too. Um, God, who's the guy we played guest the sound sources with, Dave? Remember that? I remember that, but I don't know who it was. I remember I took him to the air a train station in Windsor. I can't remember his name. Do you remember a guy that brought a full desktop computer up there? No. A big <laughs> one? Yeah. I have a memory of that. I want to say it was, I, and I keep getting confused. I think it might have been Mikhail Staverstrand, if I'm saying that name. If he ever played there, I'm not sure if you would have booked it or someone else did. I think we did book one no. of his. Did we book one of his shows? Didn't we? I thought we booked something at the original stormy record was it at stormy? At stormy okay the, then the i'm getting these stormy. shows confused i remember that i remember that show at the original stormy yeah 
Yeah, we did book that show. I used so. to work like two minutes from Stormy Records, so I was there way, way too often when they had that first location. At, Which in the, Stormy? In the, barber, yeah, the, the, the one I'm in the barber shop. The, the barber shop yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the barber had all these birds, right? He had, yeah. he had like birds in cages <laughs> there too. So you're just shopping for records and Wendy or Carl are playing some weird record and there's birds squawking at you. Yeah, and the smell of hair. <laughs> Nothing like the smell of hair when you're shopping for records. <laughs> God, that was a small, that was a good place, though. <laughs> yeah, a lot of time and a lot of money at that Stormy Records, for sure. Oh, yeah. we played there quite a few times at Stormy. Some of our best shows were done there, too. I distinctly remember hanging out with both of you and talking outside of one of the Stormy locations, but I'm not sure which one it would have been. It would have been out, out behind one, I think, so it would have been was that the, the Green the big, Brain uh... or the full location. Was it a big festival with a lot of bands playing? I think I, re I remember that, but that was later. I do remember okay. the, the festival. I played that festival uh, there. Oh, did, I, okay, I, believe, yeah. I think I may have talked to you at that festival then. Yeah, well, I talked to you guys. You might not remember. I was uh, young and dumb, but I, I would talk to you guys a fair bit at at the shows. Oh, I remember you. Yeah, you were around a lot. <laughs> yeah, <You> were... <laughs> I was enthusiastic. I, I'm still enthusiastic, but I, I was definitely enthusiastic back then. Great. Well, we yes. were always well, suspicious of anybody who wanted to talk to us. <laughs> you and rightfully so about gray gray what, what was the first time you saw them i've tried to rack my brain and i really and I, I think i'd even mentioned this to dave in an email the i remember a cafe matthews show at here at, oh, at zados cafe mm -hmm. in ferndale zados was a really weird spot that would do open mic nights and book some you guys book some experimental shows there and otherwise it was just a, a cafe coffee shop it, it, it was a right Christian coffee shop. It, it was yes. a Christian <laughs> coffee shop, yes. And they would they were right across the street from what would later become the, just like slightly down the Ferndale record collector as well. But that show, I believe, is probably where I bought that Kling film tape and where the, I saw Cafe Matthews, I want to say twice as Eidos. So yeah. getting the two shows yes. confused, but I, I went to both of those. And those were very early shows for me and very exciting. And I'm actually glad those were early things i saw more than some of the more harsh noise pedal table outright stuff because i like kathy matthews plays violin through a, a sampler that she built and programmed and that was really inspiring and interesting to see and to to know that you could do that somehow with even whatever limited means i had it was a, th a thought of like wow you could make something that's yours and that you do and no one else can really replicate that thing outside of also seeing hearing trumpet playing a bunch of crazy shit and weird electronics and stuff that also no one's going to sound like that and there was a lot of element of chance and discovery for me back then so that th those shows i have they're blurred a little bit with the years because that would have been like 97 98 if i'm not mistaken mhm mm that's about right th I i'm 25 years ago is, is a long time, <laughs> but and so the exact Kathy memories Matthews are fading. Was a, was a sweetheart too. She was so nice. She, we did two shows with her uh, a year apart. And the second show, she came up to us and said, you've changed your sound last year. You were had more sort of an electronic sound. Now you're going organic. And I thought she remembers all the shows <laughs> and people she's seen. Cause she was hanging around with the royalty of experimental music back in the UK. And I thought, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> and she stayed at my house. This is a weird story too. One of the, I can't, one of the shows, I don't remember. And uh, I have a little screened in back porch and she got up and uh, she had a driver with her. 
and uh, we're out there having coffee. And I live in Redford Township, and behind me, a couple about a half a mile away, is the Detroit Police Shooting Gallery, place where they practice. Oh, and all wow. of a sudden, wow. they just gunfire just started going crazy. She looks up and she points and goes, "Detroit." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. I thought, oh yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> we should talk about Neural since he was big. Just uh, about, mm-hmm. I was just about to bring him up. Great. Did you ever see Neural? Yeah, yeah. I, you mentioned the Windsor, a cafe in Windsor, and I believe I saw him there. I'd seen him in Detroit for something. I've seen Neural a handful of times now. I've seen him in uh, Toronto before. Yeah. I got to see him yeah. a good few times uh, with his different sculptures, like the the metal yes. sculptures he plays that were really and the toaster. I don't know if I ever saw a toaster. <laughs> oh, when we were on tour with him, he used to buy a toaster every town we went into, I think, and then he'd destroy it, <laughs> just mic it up, and then put knives in it, and just start going crazy and the kicking it and beating it, and then he'd leave the toaster there. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, not plugged in. No, no, no. I, one of the guys was a record store we played when we were on tour, and the guy put it up on the shelf behind him, so it's always <laughs> up there. But Neural was a, a great guy. I don't know how you met him, Dave. I think you met him first. I think it was just through the radio show and through Windsor Connections, because he was yeah. from Windsor, had lived in Windsor a long time, and then moved to Toronto. And I think just through the radio show, had met him, invited him to play a show, and then we actually did end up doing a small... East Coast, Midwest East Coast tour with him. Um, And that was pretty amazing. We played some quite interesting shows. We played at our records. So that was... uh, Yeah, I have some weird memory about some receipt that you guys, that like you, someone got from Ron for that show. Is that, is is this ringing any bells to anybody? I I just recently found in my archives, a uh, receipt for $25 paying us. So I must, maybe (laughs) I must've saw it online or something. Cause 'cause I brought this up. I'm like, didn't we see that? And I, then I couldn't remember, but yeah. Okay. So I'm not crazy. I did somehow see that, but I don't know how, I don't know how. I, I don't either. Unless you're yeah. on my page already or something. I'm, Come on, get I off might of have it. Seen... <laughs> <laughs> but that's so great of obviously playing there was had to be such a exciting to run into Ron and get to be at the ground zero for one of the greatest oh, noise places yeah. in in the world, especially at that time. And there was a, a couple of people we met who we we'd been playing on the radio. I can't remember who they were, but they were tape people put out tapes and they showed up and got to meet him. It was a great time. Of course, Neural was the big draw. Everybody loved Neural. A six and a half foot tall guy in leather. Come on. <laughs> Would he wear leather? I don't remember the, the leather. All the time. I got a, a good story. We, we didn't play in uh, New York, but we stayed in Brooklyn with friends of Dave's. And uh, the next day we went downtown to meet the, one of the women, Sherry, her name was Dave. Oh, Sheree, yeah. Sheree. And she worked in a fashion magazine, I think. She did work for a fashion magazine. So we're in a skyscraper. The door opens up to her floor, and in walk a bunch of, like, supermodels. There's Neural standing, like, six and a half feet tall, jacked out leather, and there's Dave and I next to him looking like a street people who just Neural felt sorry for and said, come along. Yep. But he he was shy, but boy, he, they gave him. A, they looked him up and down like he was the next supermodel. 
<laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but Nero did, we did some good shows with him. There's one show I remember we had to play in Pittsburgh. I think it was Pittsburgh, wasn't it, Dave? We played, oh, uh, yes, of course. We no, played not in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I, I'm not Pittsburgh. Uh, the other one, Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, and, that was uh, the loft. They added like three or four other acts, local acts before us. So by the time... <laughs> The show started. There was nobody there except there, for us. So Neuro there was played literally, for us. We played for Neuro. Yeah, there was that, literally not another. Show. There was yep. nobody there. Not and one we, single person. We still got paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that bit have had shows like that. Probably still will. But yeah, so all the locals played, and then everyone dipped after they yep. played. Yep, you exactly. gotta do a local sandwich. You gotta sandwich it. <laughs> yeah, Nero wasn't even enough draw to keep them there. <laughs> and then we did a show at Zoots with what's his name? Death Camp is it? Death something? Death Squad. Oh yeah. Nobody showed. <laughs> That yeah, that's in the that's in his book where he documented that tour, and exactly. I believe that is mentioned. I just in found there. that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah th- there's actually an interview we did with him that he put in the book or in the right. on the CD to the book that we did on our radio show. But he's still for Death Squad. He was a nice guy. <laughs> but it was interesting to read. I did read that the article that I part about. I said he didn't want to stay with either one of us. So he took off and like drove to Ann Arbor and slept in a park or something. <laughs> What's that say? <laughs> You're called Death Squad. We're called Hearing Trumpet, you know? Yeah, it was always interesting. Yeah, with the band's touring, we were, we were both kind of family people and having them stay. And we were always like, wow, these people are really nice. <laughs> Do you know that? <laughs> always, like across the boards and we almost put on, we put everybody up at our houses when it came to town it was a really nice way to get to meet people yeah yeah i spent some time even when i was booking shows much later of course i would do the same thing is having people stay with you is one of those ways we connect on things other oh, than definitely. just the show and you can like you said even staying at uh people house sitting for greg dave you went through his record collection you're like i gotta know this guy when you go to someone's house <laughs> you just played a show together or you're gonna play a show together that night and then you're looking at their books and their records and the kind of stuff in their house you you get a better picture and then you guys can talk about common interests and such so i i've always loved that part of the the show ritual is getting to spend time with people outside of the show environment we we always say it's offensive if someone comes over and doesn't look through yeah, the records. Yeah, what are you doing? You're, like, You're not even uh, going to dig yeah, through the like, records? Yeah, like, what are you doing? Like, go look and see the, the recently played stack. Like, There's nothing to talk about if you're just going to sit there. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. can't talk about these CDs and movies. Like, well, we had uh, a show with Volcano the Bear from uh, the UK, and um, Dave took home Volcano the Bear. I got to take home Bablicon, the opening act. <laughs> I think one member from Volcano the Bear stayed with me and kept me up till five o'clock in the morning talking. <laughs> uh, David brought the rest of the band over to my house and immediately the other three members of Volcano the Bear went to my record collection. They didn't <laughs> want to talk to me. They just wanted to flip through the records. And I thought, geez. I want to flip through your them. records now. Hey, yeah, I've yeah. heard a lot about these records at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Greg's got quite a collection. Oh, I'm sure some of that must have come from Stormy Records and Record Collector. Yeah, but a lot of it came from a place called Full Moon down in up in. So that would be the hunting lodge. Hunting lodge guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I knew Lon since 
82, maybe 81. Uh, yeah. So when we talked to Davin, obviously we asked him if he was in contact with him. He said, no, but you guys were. Yeah. Let's go back to that. So you're saying 80, 81. So now are you Michigan? You're born and raised in Michigan, Greg? Yeah. A, a, around the Port Huron area? Or no, I grew up on the east, east, uh, east side suburbs, but I had a job at the time as a traveling photographer. Okay. I used to go to small towns and set up and do families and senior portraits and all sorts of stuff like that. And one of my, oh, actually, this is an interesting story. This is how I met Lon. There used to be a band called Figures on the Beach. Remember them at all? Anybody? They were like a synth pop mm -hmm. band. No. Uh, 80s new wave. 80s new wave, yeah. They came from a band originally called Razor 1922, which was incredibly experimental. And then it, they formed into this pop band. Anyways, they had a show at a place called Nitros, I think, downriver. And there was a band opening up for them called Problem that was a TG clone from Port Huron. So after the show was over, we all went to a, a warehouse that one of the guys, this family owned and were partying. And I put my boombox on and I played uh, TG and the guy from Problem said, got excited and started talking to me. He says, if you're ever up in Port Huron, look up Lon Deal. He works at this record store. So next time I'm up there uh, working, walked in and Lon had been expecting me someday to come up and we became <laughs> friends. This was right after he, they released their first album. Wow. So it was real new. And every time I went up there, I'd spend time with Lon and we'd go to bars drinking and have a good time. And I used to go, I went to all their shows. I took pictures for one of their albums, the band, the picture of them with the dogs. Do you ever see that? The dogs. Oh yeah, the of course. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took that photograph. Oh, cool. Those dogs wow. were completely sissies. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't get them to look angry. Somebody was standing behind me holding kittens in their hands and the dogs. <laughs> were just, so I, I've known them. I supplied Lon with tapes back in the mid eighties for a piece they did on one of a cassette release. That was all collage work of sounds and everything. And I gave him all the tapes for it, which eventually I ended up using. And it sounded like I was stealing from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but I was there for Lon, the bands when they played with the Minutemen. I saw him play at a festival where they turned the sound off on him. The city turned the sound off on him. It was an outdoor wow. festival. Yeah, it was, they're, they're good guys. Real good guys. <laughs> and I'm still in touch with them quite often. Yeah, yeah. Of no, course, they're, 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 great. they're close with Knox Mitchell, of course. Yeah, and I saw that Knox is, was credited with digitizing some of your stuff, putting it up on Bandcamp. Obviously, digitizing. shout out to Knox everything he took yeah. my entire tape collection home with yes. us <laughs> that's so great and shout out to Knox and Knox yes I do owe you a package so I I, I have not forgotten I'm saying that right now in public, <laughs> oh, yes, be you're, public reminder you are owed a package from myself and Tara but so Knox has been yeah he's been really great about archiving a lot of oh. the 80s and early 90s yes. stuff that otherwise was going to go missing. And he's pulled up some stuff that like, we've never even like, he's really doing a lot of research and getting a lot of great stuff up there and, and preserving it so we can have that, which is so great. Yeah. He's a great, he's great at hunting down people who have disappeared. He's he helped me out recently. I found a tape in my collection. I bought some time ago, it was like hieroglyphics. I couldn't didn't know who it was. He found out it was a guy named from the early techno days, Carl something. Carl, Carl I can't Craig? remember his name. Yeah, maybe Carl Craig. Oh, wow. 
Mm-hmm. It was a rare tape, so he contacted Carol Craig who said he didn't even have a copy. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the Knox did some research for me and talked to Ben, somebody from Third Man Music. And this guy got all excited and wrote to me and saying, it's a great tape. I'd love to have it. I said, how much? I said, how about uh, 500 bucks? He goes, no, it's worth a thousand. Hey. Wow. So I ended up selling it for 800 bucks. Doing the hey. There you go. Integrity. Of Knox. I had nothing to do with this. That's so cool. And so, Greg, when did you really start getting into this world? And when did your collection really start? Was it in the 70s? Was it? Oh, I've been buying records since the late six, mid 60s. 1860s or my first records I used to buy were like Frank Zappa and the Fugs and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were always primed always. to to the more outsider stuff, yeah. even at a younger age. So yeah. so that path started then and just continued on discovering stuff like TG, I assume, and just going well, from there. I will say there's a short period in the mid seventies uh, I was listening to jazz, but I was in college, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's excusable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I actually, when I got out of college, I worked at a, a bookstore uh, downtown in the Renaissance Center. And one of my clerks was a singer, background singer for Nikki and the Corvettes. Do you remember them at all? Girl band. She took me to concerts to see stuff like Talking Heads and the, the rarities and all this mm-hmm. stuff and turned me on to new wave music at the time. So I gave up jazz. That's and that guy I talked about before who was from Figures in the Beach, one of the guys formed a band called His Body after that. And he and I and another friend did our first Avant piece in 81 called Dreamy Increase. And we just did cut up vocal, cut up poetry, sounds, stuff like this too. It's about three, four minutes long, but it was my first ever amazing piece I worked on. And he turned me on to Nurse with Wound. The first Nurse with Wound album had just come out. And so we played that like crazy. And from there, it just goes on. You just, you find out there's other bands like Nocturnal Emissions and every so often, it just goes crazy. And yeah, I spend a lot of money at record stores. And Dave, how about you? What was your entry path into this world? Uh, my entry path growing up, I was just, I was the oldest. and I didn't have an older person to influence me. And it was like in high school, I met somebody who self-identified as a a punk guy and basically trashed my whole entire record collection at that time. I've always been a record collector, the Oddsman's Partridge family, things like that way back in the 70s. (laughs) But so like it was probably... I was probably 16 when I started into the Susie and the Banshees and uh, the various bands, Gang of Four and that. And then just naturally went into finding Robin Gristle just within no time. And immediately I gravitated to the more experimental, the harsher stuff. And that's early on. And doing the radio show got me always looking. And even, yeah. And always looking for something new, scouring record stores, reading every magazine I could possibly read that would have anything in it. And the record, excuse me, the radio show also gave me a cover or a reason to reach out to artists and write to them and say, hey, I really dig your stuff. And would just start to get a lot of stuff sent to us from at that time, mostly like the cassette artists 
around the time. Big City Orchestra were one that I remember getting a lot of things from. Just what was Instagon? Though I know they're still around. Uh, out here, yeah, Juliet or whatever it is. Juliet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I sent a record a week. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's where I met Hal McGee and Al Margolis. And oh, yeah. Yeah, just coming out of all that. I might want to add another thing that big influence on me is in the uh, late 70s, I met John Cage. And oh, he, really? did a, he did a performance at Seaholm High School in, I don't know, B B Bloomfield or something. And he was there and I got to uh, talk to him at length. But it was all about blue jean jackets because we were both wearing blue jean jackets. <laughs> That's all we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> but they did a performance and they did the a performance of Variations for the rather just everything thrown into the mix comes out. And his quote about everything we do is music. That was a huge influence. That kind mm -hmm. of cemented. I mean, I used to have a quote I used to tell everybody that uh, we're all just doing Cage. I mean, everybody who's doing noise music is just still doing John Cage. It's it's just <laughs> him. He did it all. But that was huge influence. I was trying to not ask you about this denim conversation that ah. I'm very excited <laughs> about now. So This would have been 74, maybe. And at the time, denim coats were big amongst hippies. And also, what's the, like, farmer overalls, blue jean overalls yes. were big. So I know I had a denim coat and my friend had blue jean overalls on. John Cage had a nice, worn blue jean overcoat on, too. So <laughs> we just admired each other's coats and talked about blue jeans for a little while. <laughs> I love it. What I am I going to say to John? Can you tell me about your music? And I'll go no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So much yeah. cooler to have a conversation about jean jackets. Like that's that to me is like way cooler. If I he's such a he was a huge fan of mushrooms too, the regular edible kind, of course. Mm -hmm. But if I had known, I would have talked about mushrooms with him too. But no. <laughs> but yeah, that was big. And Detroit actually had a pretty good scene back then too. Like they brought Stockhouse into town. He played at the DIA performed or he was there while they did it. And Dave and I, you remember you and I went and saw the, like the master's degree in music, people performing tape music and concrete music. Yeah. It was in an auditorium. And basically it was the musician would sit in the audience, the author of the music while the tape recorder is playing up on stage. So it's a whole room full of people staring at tape recorders on stage. <laughs> Sounds like a dream. <laughs> Nobody's doing anything. They just put the tape on, play yeah. it and then leave. Yep. But that was a huge influence, too. Were you guys going to, say, like Chicago at all for shows? Or were you pretty much sticking around Michigan and then and Windsor? Were you traveling at all to go see any performances? No, not really, except for the tour. We didn't travel. We played Chicago right. before the uh, first day of the tour. We played the Empty Bottle. TV Pow, I think, played. Yeah, and, TV uh, Pow. Yep. Yeah. That was not a bad show. That was pretty good. Empty Bottle brought up many times as a, a favorite venue in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I would travel to to shows outside of the Detroit area to just not at, to go to see shows. I remember seeing Neubauten in Chicago just to to they played Detroit a number of times, but right. anytime they were anywhere within five six hour drive, I was there. <laughs> that be I had a job. <laughs> <laughs> there's just to, oh, the reason i even bring up chicago because it seems like 
some parallels with we we talked with Jim O'Rourke a while back, and he was doing radio show and at, in Chicago and setting up shows in Chicago in the eighties, and even talking about at that time some of the more I don't remember Stockhausen particularly or John Cage, but that world was doing shows in Chicago that oh, he yeah. was either a part of or or went to. So it just when you were talking about that, it just made me think of and obviously Chicago being about just four or so hours away from Detroit. So I, just, I didn't know if there was any cross connection for you guys, but you did play there later in the nineties. Yeah. I do remember going to a uh, John Cage birthday party festival in Chicago, their new music festival on the pier cage didn't perform, but the, the list of people who did is outrageous. Amazing amount of people like Glenn Branca played, Pauline Oliveros played all these people performed for like three day festival. And that, that was nice. That's the only time I think I ever left to go to a show, except we went and saw TG in Chicago, but that was after we were spent already. Yeah, we went to, yeah. When did you see them? Their reunion tour they did. Okay, I was going to, mm. okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, not, I, was like, not, I didn't think, yeah. I didn't even think they, I was like, I thought they didn't wow. play Chicago. Yeah. Oh, you saw them in modern times. Yeah. 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 Modern times being the early 2000s. I know. Yes. That's how I still you say it. two years yeah. ago. Modern and, times. Yeah, we yeah, stayed yeah. at the same motel they stayed in, too. Yeah. So that was, when we were checking in, I turned around and Sleazy was sitting over in the corner talking to someone. So I went up to him and we had just seen him at a in Boston festival yeah, in Boston. And uh, he was open to talking, real nice. So I went back to Dave was checking. I turned around, look, and there's Chris and Cozy with Sleazy. And I thought, oh, man, I can't bother him again. <laughs> That's so cool, though. We did another Brainwaves. I don't know if you're familiar with the Brainwaves Festival from the label. What was it? Was a Brainwaves label, okay. Or Brainwashed. Brainwashed. Oh, brainwashed. Oh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He did two festivals in Boston, and one of them I met Stapleton for the first time. Yeah, he was staying in the motel. I would come down to breakfast, and this is just fanboy stuff here. They had a free breakfast. I came down to breakfast, and sitting at one table is Volcano the Bear, who I knew already, so I sat with them. Over in the corner is Stapleton talking with his partner. I can't remember his name now. Lyles, Andrew Lyles. Over there, I, I managed to talk to, oh, God, who's a little punk girl from New York? Who? My memory is so bad. But it was, the place was just full of all the stars at a festival. And I'm in there. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> well, we had that same experience at Brave Brainwaves when I went with you, where we went down to breakfast and Sleazy was there. And I remember Thurwell, Jim Thurwell was mm -hmm. sitting yeah. there. And it was just, yeah, it was like surreal. Any anxiety was uh, that's, that's who I'm talking to. That's, that's who I, I yeah. talked to her while we were both waiting for our English muffins to be hosted. At that I love, festival, the I one you that. went to, I remember standing in line to check in to the motel. I turned around, look, and Warren DeFever standing behind me. And I thought, what the <laughs> fuck? I just drove like six hours to, and I, I see you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He wasn't happy either. You mentioned seeing TG after you were spent, and I assume you were meaning that the hearing trumpet was over, which it looks like the run was 94 to 98 of releasing. 2005 and... was our last show. Okay, so you continued playing shows but not releasing anything into the 2000s? Yeah, releasing was a, a hell of a hassle. We were 
I'm, I'm never ambitious. I'm lazy. I'm not ambitious. I just, I enjoy doing the shows, but doing taping and all that stuff too. That box you talked about, I cut every one of those bars by hand, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I did not enjoy that in, in retrospect. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize. I, I guess I always thought that the label put those together. Oh, I, I did all the artwork for all the shows, all the releases, rather, except okay. for the single. A friend of ours did the, the, the artwork for the single. For the Neural Hearing Trumpet 7-inch? Yeah. Which I now hearing all this, I, I guess it must have been for a tour, that 7-inch, yeah? No, nah, not necessarily. No? Okay. Just we, no, Neural no, wanted to do something. Together? We wanted to do something, yeah. Yeah, all right. We wanted to we, up our profile a little bit. <laughs> Big time. to get a yeah. profile. <laughs> <laughs> what what ultimately led to not doing hearing trumpet anymore? Was there anything specific? Just time and distance. Well, Dave had quit the radio show in 2000, and I continued until 2016 or something by myself. Oh wow, that long? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe wow. 14, 2014, maybe. Let's say that. Yeah, going over the border during after the 9-11 thing was a real fun thing. Wow, so you did that every week? Every week, yeah. That's crazy. That's not a fun border. It would take me two to three hours to get home. And every time they rifled through my rec my CD collection to see what I was smuggling in, got to the point I was putting like SPK CDs and Britney Spears covers, so it looked nice. <laughs> you don't have to answer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that I've had, we've all had... We've all had a lot of trouble there. That board. Oh, yeah. 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 We've been denied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I got set, turned away. Set yeah. back. I got turned away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They just said they said they just they didn't they literally told me they didn't believe me that I was playing some sh shows and I had papers and it was like work permit exempt venues and they were like, "Nah, you're lying to me." And I'm like, I'm really not. There's phone numbers here. And they're like, whoever we call is going to be lying to us too. So you're not getting in today. I'm like, nope. like but it was, I, like, yeah. I really wasn't. Like, it was yeah. not like, it's like, I, yeah. So no, that border can be tough. So that's insane that you did that for that yeah. long. Yes. There's a secret yeah. to the, the Windsor-Detroit border though, is that you go to the third toll booth from the left. Oh, is it? Yep. But what if there's only two open? I've never experienced that. I've never experienced oh, yeah. that. Well, I come home at two o'clock in the morning from All the radio right. show. Yeah. I got told pulled over left. one time to go inside the immigration and it was packed full of immigrants, foreigners. <laughs> and I'm sta standing out, this blonde guy standing over in the corner. And one guy in the back knew me and he goes, what the hell are you doing there? And he yells across the room, come here. He goes, get out of here. Oh, boy, I felt <laughs> so much hatred. Yeah. But they coming coming through eventually. Yeah. yeah, they knew me from weekly coming through. A lot of them know who I was. There was one episode I got to tell this too. The car ahead of me got pulled over. They pulled the guy out of the passenger side and dragged him into the thing. Literally two, three guys holding, dragging him in. The rest, of the other, the car was surrounded by people with guns, and they walked the car over to the parking thing. I thought I'm behind him. I thought, oh shit. These, these guys are all wired right now. They're going to be really <laughs> pissy. I get up to the counter and the guy goes, what have you been doing? I said, do a radio show. He goes, oh, do you know where I can take guitar lessons? I said, no. He goes, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> no. They're already tired out from dealing with the other guy. They didn't want to even Ex mess with you. Yeah, exactly. Is it the, the Windsor border crossing also, if I'm not mistaken, when you have to go into the immigration thing, there's like glass display cases of all the stuff they've confiscated at the border, right? 
Oh, I've never seen that. That'd be oh, fun. Okay. I don't remember that. Yeah, there's like snakeskin <laughs> boots and like whatever kind of like illegal, like, I don't know, endangered species eggs and all this stuff. And they're all in like a the cobra in a bottle of liquor or whatever kind of stuff. Like all wow. that. They have like a display case of that stuff. That I might be getting be this confused with another border crossing, but I remember seeing it multiple times. So I have to imagine it was that border. Border well, trophies. There was another time I went through the border with, we had put on a show at Detroit Contemporary with the censor band, they were called. Zbigniew Kakowski was his name. Yeah. yeah. And somebody, Yonda, and well, anyway, three guys, all from different nationalities, all live in different countries. They came, we did the show with them. They said, we want to meet Plastic Man, who had a club <laughs> In Windsor. I said, okay, yep. fine. Get mm-hmm. the car. We drive to the thing. It's late. The shows, we did the shows. They pull us over because three guys, one American and three guys, one had a, he was German, but he had a Swiss passport. Yeah. Another guy was Asian, but he had a, a American passport. Anyways, we get pulled over. We walk into an empty room, closed the window. There's a big new Karkowski walks up and starts pounding on the table going, Come here, talk to us. Come talk to us. We want to go to see Plastic Man. <laughs> the, door, the window opens up. We were there for about an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. They finally let us go. We go to the club. We walk in, and they're saying, good night. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> so when Amazing. you travel, when you live this close to a border town, and you have, like, visitors from another country, yeah, plan ahead. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. So. Dave, you stopped doing the radio show, but Greg, you continued. But yeah, just to continue what Greg was asking. So did the hearing trumpet activities just fade away just through time and all that? Pretty much. For me personally, it was uh, having a kid that, that changed life. I'm looking at our timeline here. and We still did shows at Entropy in 2000. We went back to Pittsburgh and did a show there in 2000. We did the Gold Dollar in 2001. And, oh, we did two great shows at CPOP in 2002. Was that yeah. Gold Dollar show with Dead Voices on air? Yeah, Yeah, probably. I was at that show. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was nice. That was good. The CPOP shows, we opened up for a sudden infant. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we I saw that flyer here, too. We I, saw that flyer. Yeah, I found that, that flyer while going through stuff, too. That was a show. That was awesome. <laughs> He was, again, scary guy, but really nice guy. Oh, he's <laughs> funny. He's yeah, yeah, totally. Yes, 100%. We, and we decided, uh, back then we started doing performances rather than just doing the sounds. We started doing, um, yeah, performances. Uh, one show I, I, for the Valcona Bear, I spun plates while Dave was making noises. So Really? Yeah. Are you good at spinning plates? No. I was never done it <laughs> no, not at all. I didn't, even, I didn't even practice. Never <laughs> practice. I had about 25 plates I had bought at Salvation Army, so I built yeah. a little wooden brace with the things, and I'm mm-hmm. running back and forth. They're falling off. I had about two <laughs> plates left, and I realized, flip the plate over in the other way, and yeah, then it started working. <laughs> <laughs> Every plate was broken except one, and then one of the members from King of the Bear, I gave it to him, and he just smashed it on the edge of the stage. <laughs> so we were doing stuff like that. So for Sudden Infant, I wanted to tailor it something they might like. So we did a show where Dave and I had blindfolds on and headphones on listening to heavy metal music. We had a box 
I had built out of pine with a bunch of shredded paper in it. And all of our sources were in that box, CDs, tapes. So we would reach and grab one and put it on. We had no idea what sounds we were putting out. No oh, clue wow. what it sounded like at all. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, you yeah. guys couldn't hear it. Amazing. Did you ever go yeah. back and it was, listen? It was like a, my version of an eagle performance. Rather than saying, hey, <laughs> this will sound cool if I do this, we had no idea. And a sudden infant really liked it. The only thing is that the someone doing the sound for us turned the sound off as a joke at the end and let us do just miming it for about five <laughs> minutes. That's hilarious. Did you ever hear a recording of it? Yeah, we, we, we have recordings of it. I think we even have a video of it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And then we had we did a show for Capote Music. They performed. We opened for them at CPOP. Oh, also Aaron opened up for this the one too for sudden infant, sudden infant one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the one for Capote Music, I thought we did a piece just based upon the sound of salt. Because Detroit is a, a salt mine, eventually. So I thought, hey, it's the history of Detroit. So that same wooden box was filled almost to the brim with salt. We had a big white tarp we were on. We were both dressed in white. Dave, actually, I, I took a flat Radio Shack microphone. Do you guys familiar with these? I guess it's like a just a flat metal thing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's like, I probably have it here, but don't ever find it. <laughs> I probably gave it to Knox. Anyways, I was just digging through the sand with us while Dave was manipulating the sounds, which yeah. I thought was a really good show, too. I was usually the engineer of the shows. Yeah. And all the years we did stuff, we never, ever used an effects pedal. Not once did oh, we really? ever use one. Yeah, wow. we never. Anything done as far as altering sounds was done pre and even then, we didn't use effects pedals. We would, I don't know how we, I guess they were just all raw well, sounds. At some point, I, recording, I think we used effects pedals. We, yeah, I have some. I, I know that we had oscillators for a while there, but well, yeah. then again, they kept blowing up. <laughs> but all our sounds were pretty much organic, but a lot of them sounded electronic. So it's just that people with like boards of effects pedals. And I thought I could never figure that out. I don't know what the hell's going on. The recordings sound very, there's, there's definitely an organic quality to the recordings and there's, yeah, there's this haze and this really rotten low finest to a lot of it. Were, was, (laughs) were the tapes recorded live? Was it, were the manipulated after mostly live? No, most everything was live. A lot of the earliest stuff was actually from our radio show because Dave would record. Did you you have a little digital recorder? Yeah. Yeah. Digitally record our mixes. We call them misanthropy mixes when we used to do them on the radio show. And when we did the mixes, Dave would record them and we edited them down for our releases. That's what that was. So it was all live in the radio station. Again, (laughs) we didn't even talk about what we were going to do on any of the shows we ever did. Only thing we had was that we knew how much long we wanted to do it, and we had a uh, old darkroom timer that yes. would that literally would turn off our equipment when the time came. Oh, oh. nice! Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We plugged everything through the timer, so when it hit zero, we're done. Of course, <sighs> that should be implemented for so many that. people. <laughs> that. I, I, they should have those in clubs. Yeah, like, amazing yes yeah that's going in the bill or that's going in the plan next time i book a show is just there will be a timer that will cut you off in 25 minutes (laughs) 
If you oh, want, it worked good when uh, we were playing with other people too, because you don't want to uh, open them, get into their time, and have people bored by then. Okay, yeah. everybody, yeah. listen to that sentence again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, keep it short. Yeah, there were. Yeah. I remember a lot of shows though too. We'd have the timer set up, and we'd start it at like twenty, and then after about five minutes, we'd like push it up to five minutes sooner, and then five minutes sooner. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we're good. Fifteen. Yeah, if it wasn't going, we'd put, I'd see you turn it down a little. Yeah. <laughs> it was never the other way. It was never more time. It was always less time. Definitely. Yeah. We yeah. used that at the Destroy All Monsters show. We had the timer, and they gave us like say forty five minutes and uh, did that piece we did i don't know if it's organically happened but we started off real quiet and towards the end we started pumping up sounds real loud upset horribly loud for us and the timer stopped and when that stopped it was hooked up the lights these big old movie lights some of the big metal bars with four big bulbs on them we yeah. had two of those with like eight bulbs and all the lights just flashed out to the people in the audience so we were hitting them with the loudest sound we ever did and then hit them with bright lights to, to just to piss them off Amazing. but that worked out well because the lights were hooked up to go on when the uh, timer ended <laughs> but yeah we, yes. we never planned anything we never talked ahead said no let's do this uh, maybe one or two shows we had, like i know you did the creaking tree remember that dave the, mm -hmm. he recorded his tree out back creaking for like <laughs> an hour and a half or something <laughs> But we just kept looping it, and we had all these different sources playing until like the one tape playing, and then two, then three, then like five or six different tapes all playing the same creaking tree. So it was like you were in a the scariest forest ever. So but oh, that, that may have awesome. been planned. That's yeah, nice. But I do, I will say playing with Greg, uh, our ears were I felt were quite similar in what we were doing. And that's the greatest thing. I, I always loved yeah. playing with Greg because we'd basically, basically play off of each other and mm -hmm. build off of what the other one was doing. And that's what made it and interesting for me. You knew my tapes. I knew your tapes. So mm -hmm. I knew you know, when I heard something that this might work with it. And that's the ego coming in, too. That's why I wanted to do one show without an ego. There was the one show at Stormy where we weren't even there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah what tell us about that show so we set up it was at stormy i don't even remember who else was playing but we set up at stormy and we set it up like a little tent and we had a light on in the tent so you could see the shadows our, our shadows in the tent but what we the shadows were actually mannequins and what we did is we were right by the been the door right on Michigan Avenue was behind us. So what we basically did was we started all of our equipment, uh, scooted out the back door so nobody saw us. And then we went to eat at a Thai restaurant down the street. Amazing. <laughs> we did have a curtain up too, the, we had and, a curtain, uh, yeah. so that we could start the show. Yeah, and, so nobody uh, saw us. Carl from Wendy and Carl pulled the curtain back to see us. So people thought we were really in there still because they yes. never saw us setting up or anything. That's right. <laughs> and we went and had a good meal and we came back and found the place trashed. Everything was, <laughs> everything was thrown around. We did another oh. show at Wendy and Carl's too. I remember we did. We performed. It was supposed to be a no guitarist festival and I showed up with a guitar case. But inside, I had a little dummy of me that I shoved a microphone up its butt and, <laughs> and just beat the hell out of him. I, I really upset my wife with that performance. But 
at the end of the show, I had a friend pull up, timed out that he pulled up in front of the door. As soon as we were end, we jumped up, ran out the door, jumped in his car and took off. Yes. We were gone again. <laughs> so that one was another fun show too. Seems like you guys had a lot of fun playing with expectations. The private or the private... The setting up mannequins and leaving sounds like maybe an inspiration from seeing those performances of just a tape recorder on a table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing too, again, that was, we didn't know what was going to play because we just had all these cassette players and CD players hit them all playing. So we had no idea what the song was going to be like again too. And as <laughs> it, the tape of it came out pretty nice too, I think it was interesting. Very much cut up, a lot of cut ups in there too. But yeah, we had, we have, took us a while to come around to the performance aspect of it because before that we used to dress up just in uh, white shirts with uh, black ties because we were old people and old people don't wear rock and roll shirts so <laughs> you were old yeah <laughs> hey i'm turning 70 in a couple of months wow awesome. so yeah when i was doing this i was like 40 already so that was great. When we started, I was 40. Like, like Alan Vega starting suicide. He was 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had yeah, some other interesting shows. We had bad shows where we opened up. <laughs> Always love the bad out. shows. Oh, this horrible sound, bad sound men. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, had, we opened up for Pauline Oliveros at a festival put on by Warren Westfall, who owned a record collector. And Pauline Oliveros, come on, a legend. She, so we opened up for her table full of all sorts of good, interesting things. And the sound man takes me completely out of the mix because he can hear a hum. That's my guitar. I strapped a bunch of aquarium pumps to my guitar and it was <laughs> detuned. So it was like this low hum going on through the whole thing. So Dave has to leave the stage to go down and get in a fight with him. Actually, yeah, leave the stage and go up to the, the where the sound guy was at and like, no, he's supposed to be up. You're supposed to be able to hear him. And then I'd come back down and it would be like one change. And I, I had to run back and forth a couple of times. Well, I had asked so, this of Davin, of course, because of booking stuff in the 90s, especially, and dealing with places that weren't really accustomed to this. So Zados, you must've had a good relationship with entropy was obviously a place for strange yeah. music mm-hmm. suits also, which unfortunately I never got to go to. It was gone. Like right when I started going to things, I believe, but what kind of issues did you have booking shows outside or booking these kind of experimental shows and performing at these things in the, in an unsuspecting realm or venue? I don't well, know if we had that many un- really unsuspecting ones. We did the Metro Times. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had, in Hamtramck, they had a festival. Every, they do every year still. Every year, they still do. Yeah. And Metro Times is, is like the local weekly in Detroit. And for some reason, they invite us to play at a bar. They have multiple venues the same night. And uh, yeah, that the yeah they didn't have any idea what right. the hell we were doing yeah. and that's another <laughs> one where the sound man took you out because you were had a, a record player and you were playing uh, records with like tape on them making skips yeah and he kept saying it's uh making skip sounds and i was like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <it's... laughs> yeah. oh really that, it sure that's, is that's probably the only place we had any real troubles because we even gold dollar which is known for being a um 
what do they call it the rock and roll that was so popular back then garage well, white, rockers up there. yeah what yeah white stripes were we played there never had a problem had good audiences it was real nice actually white house performed that show performed there but dj there didn't he yeah i was at that too i've talked about that one a fair well, we, bit we never had any problems with anybody saying something we played detroit contemporary was completely open to what we were doing um yeah, yeah, luckily, yeah, luckily we were able to find places. That was always a scramble is where to do shows. When Stormy was always open to shows, Gold Dollar was usually open to shows. But it was always, where are we going to do the next show? And that was always fun. But mm-hmm. having opportunities like C-Pop and... Oh, C-Pop too. That was, yeah, was great. Yeah, C-Pop yeah. and Detroit Contemporary could be really nice for shows. Yes. For sure. And... and mo- most of the shows we did too was because a band was coming through town and we thought we'd open for him. Oh <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> I don't think we ever did a show thinking, let's we haven't done a show for a while, let's do a show. It oh, never no. We were always the opening act for people we admired. One of the other things that was always important to me, although Gold Dollar was a bar, is trying to do shows that weren't in bars because the type of music that was we were bringing to town or that we were doing was not conducive to people talking and drinking and clinking bottles and things like that, which still to this day drives me fucking crazy. (laughs) Well, have you heard that Beachcomber Trio record recorded live at the Kahiki Supper Club? It's an Exotica record, I think from 1965 as the recordings are from. And it's an Exotica record of the the Beachcomber band playing in in a tiki bar in Ohio. But it's a room recording, so you can hear people talking and eating dinner and clinking glasses. And it's... Mm -hmm. Perfect ambiance for it. Which actually, <laughs> oh, yeah. since we talked about some exotica earlier, uh, I gotta ask Ichi top five favorite easy listening or exotica records. Oh my god, I can't. Or imagine. just some I, that come to mind. I just Ima- say artists. Ha- yeah, Ima, Ima Sumac. Ima Sumac. I had a cat named Ima just because of her. <laughs> but yeah, like Martin Denny, of course. Yeah, just yeah, Quiet Village itself but uh, you're taxing my memory <laughs> you keep saying your memory is so bad but i your, your memory is incredible actually yeah. i've been lying through my uh, th- <laughs> completely for the whole time and luckily dave goes along with every lie i say oh he's well, just, just yes handing he just, he's just yes handing <laughs> yeah. yeah we only performed once ever and that's it Anything else is good. <laughs> And it was with Zados and or with yeah. Cafe Matthews and, and Zados. Showed up. <laughs> yeah. Great was it? Ray's the only person. <laughs> it was the Death yeah. Squad one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I do I remember some of this stuff, but specifics, a lot of times, I don't remember so many things. That's all my life. It's not just because I'm demented, getting dementia, but all my life, I've had a bad memory. No, actually, I have Rick, notes too, by the way, too. So I like that. Hey, now have either of you guys been doing any sound stuff in recent times, or is it still just n- you not something that you've been actively doing? I've done it, I played live once, actually, it was with Knox. He came to Eugene, raided all my hearing trumpets tapes, and took them home with them every of the things that I had, but I felt for that show, I would dust off some stuff and play. I've been asked multiple times because I'm pretty well hooked into the very small, but enthusiastic scene here in Eugene, but uh, it's a lot of work. 
<laughs> As someone you, who has to you... go play a show after this interview, yes, it is. <laughs> did, uh, Illusion of Safety was just there. Actually, no, because he was supposed to play. Yeah, Dan was supposed to play, but we had an ice storm here in Eugene. Oh, no, because he was just here and saying he was going up to yeah. Eugene. Yeah, he he was. That was the plan. It actually was quite disappointing not to see Dan because I've known him forever, too. But, yeah, he actually ended up skipping Eugene and going, I think, straight to Portland because oh, wow. the, the whole city was shut down for like three days because of ice. I think the oh, wow. Portland show was also canceled because Sleeping with the Earth was supposed to play and he had posted that it was canceled because okay. Dan, Dan couldn't make it due to weather. Yeah. January shows, I'm saying. Like, yeah, that I don't know why shoot. anyone, it's a total crapshoot, especially in places like Detroit mm-hmm. where it's like you just never know. Oh, True. February show, forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Greg? Have you been uh, no doing music. any stuff? I listen yeah. to music constantly, but no music. Right now, though, I've been spending most of my time going through my all the archives. I've been working with Knox on putting out, a, it should be coming out sometime this year, a hearing trumpet box set. Three cassettes of, of our stuff that Knox has cleaned up for us and should be ready to go. I'm working on the art right now. Awesome. Oh, great. But I, I considered it a few years back, maybe doing something, but I had given all my equipment to Knox. <laughs> I love it. Every so often, and I'm just trying to get things out of my house here so that when I something happens to me, my wife's not responsible for getting rid of this shit. He walked off with the old tape echo we had, the actual tape echo. Yeah. That Dave, yeah. The echo flex. Yep. All the oscillators. He's got my four track recorder list goes on and on and I'm happy to get rid of them. But I you know right now I say I'm working on say I was a photographer and I've been photographing street photography since 1972 and I had something like 15,000 negatives to scan. So I've wow. been working on that and putting together a, a a page of my street photography. But no more music. I just I just like say I just listen to stuff like crazy. You're full time in the archives now. Yeah, I think that Knox rubbed off on me. <laughs> My, my energy's been so spent speak. doing the radio show, so that's yeah. I've been doing a radio show now for about six years. I, once once it's in the blood, I hadn't in, I had, in Eugene. Yeah, in it's broadcast on a very small little station here, but I do it all from home. It's all digital and put out on the usual podcasting places, Mixcloud, Apple Podcasts, things like that. So, what's the name of it? The Institute of Spectrosonic Sound. Still Can't influenced get any more by easy listening than yeah, that. I was gonna say, still influenced yeah. by Martin Denny <laughs> and yes. Liberty Records. That's actually how we got in touch for this interview too. After we we talked about you on the show actually a couple of times, and it's been brought up, but we started emailing because of your radio show. <laughs> yeah, Ask, asking for some some things off of your label. Yeah, to play. Yeah, I just I consider myself more of a curator these days than a musician. And not to mention, you get a lot of free stuff too. I do. i'm very proactive so talking to lots of people one of the things that's yeah one of the things that's actually interesting to me is still talk talking to these people who i've known for 20 30 years from way back that talking on a regular basis to people like franz deward eric lund i got in contact because i heard him on your show oh great And it was like holy shit he's still doing stuff And now he's sending me books and postcards all the time. It's cool as hell. Getting mail from him is uh, is truly a treat every single time. Absolutely. It's amazing. There's a book and CD that I'm publishing for him that'll be out soon. I'll have to send you one. 
Oh, absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. So it's just interesting how McGee's still around doing things. I've been excited. I've been collecting Daniel Menche's work for many years and getting now living an hour and a half away from Portland, going to see him several times. It's just been really cool. Seeing him and seeing Arrow, I assume I mean, as that's well. Important. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, Arrow. <laughs> yes, yes. 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 You can. Yeah. They're they're inseparable. <laughs> so that's been cool. I'm assuming awesome. that's a dog. Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. You guys are definitely still active, just in a different way. Just yeah. In, just, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, I awesome. spend a lot of time just diving into music and talking to artists and doing the radio shows. And I spend zero time doing any of those. (laughs) (laughs) I know booking shows and especially in the nineties, putting out experimental tapes and all that stuff can be a fairly thankless job. So as someone who benefited from that stuff, thank you both for booking those shows that I got to see and always trying to do cool stuff and, and bringing cool people to town. Yeah, I think our total profit from all of doing all those shows and everything putting everything out i think we're in the still in the negative like several oh yeah <laughs> many hundreds yeah. <laughs> the old i can't give people 20 bucks that came to town from wherever all right here's an extra dude any I, anytime we booked anything i'd always pull out extra cash oh, yeah. just and throw it on there because it's just yeah. You want to make sure everyone's like gets the gas, gets the food, and maybe even gets to come home with a few bucks every once in a while. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's always a good thing. But so definitely we want to link your guys' activities. Greg, you said your Instagram page, you've been archiving the flyers and stuff. Yeah. So we'll, we'll obviously make sure to link all those. And Dave, is there a, a way if people want to send you stuff for the radio show? Is there a site? to with your contact info or somehow people can get in contact with you? Yeah. Contact info. I have an Instagram page and contact info. If you through, I posted on the show at the mixed cloud and that's Mm -hmm. so my email and that is there. Get to people can get to me any which way. Awesome. So yeah, we'll have all the links up on the show page. Yeah. And And we also have a band camp page. I was just going to say, go listen to heart of a leaf on the hearing. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we do. Have a Greg. Bandcamp page. Yeah. D- with with sounds <laughs> digitized by one Mr. Knox Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I know a friend of mine just sent me some links to uh, hearing trumpet on YouTube. I didn't know about. So <laughs> I don't pay attention enough. I love it. But we'll have a reunion by another ten years, right, Dave? Sounds good. You'll be 80. I'll be running for president then. This has been so much fun. I, I always say the my my gauge of meeting people or meeting new people is how much can we laugh. And I think we laughed a lot this episode. So mm-hmm. we are very excited. So I'm so glad also just to get to for Tara and myself to get to hear Gray's history and how you guys were such a big part of that for him. Mm-hmm. And when we were in Michigan, obviously you guys had, had had not really been playing anymore. So for us, just catching up on your guys' history has been really cool. So this has been a hell of a lot of fun. So thank you for <laughs> taking the time to do this. Like I said, we're going to link all your guys' stuff so people can check it out, get in contact, check out the band camp, 
check out your radio show, check out the archives. This is just a hell of a lot of fun. So thanks so much for taking the time to do this. That's been awesome. Right, thank, thank you, you guys. I enjoyed it more than I thought. <laughs> Yay, that's all we can ask. That's all we can ask. <laughs> we did an interview, just one more story years ago for a, radio, for a movie called Detroit Rock City, wasn't it called? Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was all about White Stripes and all those kind of bands. But the guy who ran the camera was a fan of ours, so he asked us to interview him. I remember saying, I don't know why we're wasting our time. This isn't going to be in the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> And he put that in there. <laughs> you have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noiseextra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.